Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game by learning from the leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventNB. In this episode titled The Power of Personal Branding, I have the pleasure of speaking with personal branding and LinkedIn trainer Leanne Calderwood. In this episode, we cover some great topics around personal branding, including how your personal brand becomes part of what your clients experience, why you should always tie your personal branding efforts to professional goals, why investing in one platform for your personal branding efforts is the way to go, why LinkedIn is the ideal place to advocate and share your thought leadership, and what are the content styles that are working best right now on LinkedIn. We also talk about why the industry needs innovation and why simply returning to normal is not the best possible outcome out of the pandemic. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out previous episodes of the Event Manager podcast. Each episode features an amazing event professional sharing great knowledge and advice on so many great topics. You can find all the episodes on our website and of course you can follow or subscribe the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. And on this episode, I have the pleasure of having Leanne Calderwood joining us, the personal branding and LinkedIn trainer. Leanne Calderwood, how are you, Leanne? So nice to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Miguel. I'm so glad to talk to you. I haven't We haven't talked in like six months. <laughs> I know, it's been a while. And, and we've known each other for... I'm going to say a good like 10, 12 years, something like that. I think mainly through MPI, I, I believe, is, is the first connection that we had. You know, it was uh, 10 years ago that you and I first met. We were on the social media guru team for MPI. That's what they called us. They actually called us the social media guru team for um, MPI's World Education Congress when it was in Vancouver, B.C., so that's yep. when you and I first got a chance to work together. And but I cannot probably, believe it's 10 years. <laughs> it's more. It's it's 11, right? Because that was 2010, Vancouver. Oh, my gosh. You're right. I just yeah. lost a year of my life. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's 11 years. So, but I think, yeah, met, so much has happened, obviously. <laughs> we'd met before that, I think. we'd Well, we'd met on Twitter, I guess, is probably the, the first kind of thing. And yeah, it's worth just kind of explaining social media gurus. So we're at... MPIWC, big conference, I don't know, maybe 3,000 people, something like that. Yeah. And then we get these ribbons that say social media guru. I remember we got these little packs in our in our hotel rooms, which had some random like microphones and like notebooks yeah. and things like that, which is very sort of a press kit. And then I remember we had this sort of like preferential seating at the general session where we had this like little table off to the corner that had some power strips. And then we had our laptops and we were sitting there kind of typing away, I guess, tweeting away was, was the main thing at that point. And, and that's what it was, is we were just tweeting. I don't know why they even called it social media, because it was just Twitter. 
But yeah. all of us were on Twitter trying to rally the rest of the, the people at the Congress to get on Twitter. And you're right. I think the, the reason that you and I um, were asked to be a part of this team was because we were active on Twitter before the Congress and they saw that we had um, an audience and a presence. And so this team came together and yeah, like, it was such a hoot, such a hoot. It was fun. It was like the social media influencer sort of before it had yeah. a name kind of thing. Basically, but I remember, basically. <laughs> I think at that point, Twitter didn't even have images, right? It was just text and It was hashtags. 140 characters. Yeah. And then you had, <laughs> you had these sort of external systems that sort of enabled you to upload an image. And then there would be sort of a link to the image in the tweet. And, and, but then yeah. that broke sometimes because those systems would go down and... Yeah, it was it was it was fun oh, times. I, I think we we all thought that Twitter was going to take over the world at that point, and I don't think that that's happened quite like that. But uh, but it's still still one of my favorite social medias. I think it's still a lot of fun with it. it. It still has its place, and there's still a lot of people in our industry extremely active on it. So it's it's a great place to get your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry. So. Um, yep. millennials must be rolling their eyes though. Cause yeah, we had to do it in 140 characters <laughs> and, um, and that was tough. I remember that being the skill in and of itself was to capture all the sound bites, um, in yep. that little tiny space. So yeah, I miss Absolutely. those days. That was a lot of fun. That was exciting. So uh, we've, we've obviously reminiscing for the first few minutes of this podcast. So please forgive <laughs> us if you're, if you're lost, but Leanne, just if you, for, for those people who have not met you, who don't know you, could you give us a little bit of a background about who you are and, and how you got here? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I started out as an association and corporate planner, um, 20 years ago. Um, and soon after that realized that I loved everything about meeting planning but it was the post-event reports that absolutely killed me and uh, just completely floored me. So I needed to find something different in the industry. Uh, and that's when I stumbled on site selection. And so I've been a site selection professional for 15 years uh, with two different companies and had a great thriving business, um, um, a wonderful business partner over at Conference Direct. And then, of course, when COVID hit um, and we all needed to rethink how we approached our careers, um, I did the same and realized uh, a lot of my business had grown through um, what, I, what, what we all know as being a personal brand. Um, I created a blog for the industry, um, mostly for my clients, for my meeting planner clients. And then the blog morphed into a blog for uh, hotel sales managers uh, so when COVID hit and I had to step away from site selection because my clients put their meetings on pause, I thought this was the time if I was going to double down on what I was really, really passionate about, and that was branding um, and creating a social media presence, it was going to be now. So that's what I've been working on over the past 18 months is creating digital courses for the hospitality industry, um, specifically around personal branding and LinkedIn. Uh, as well as doing trainings, um, in-person trainings now, which is so exciting, um, but also Zoom trainings, especially for small hotel teams that need to get a handle on their LinkedIn presence. So I come in and, and help them with their LinkedIn profiles and their LinkedIn pages. And I know this is something that you've been working on for a while, right? This wasn't something that, I mean, you, you definitely focused on it during the pandemic, but it wasn't new. You've had this blog for a while. You've had a Twitter presence for a long time. Yeah. How did, like, when did it start and what was your kind of initial 
idea around it? Yeah, I love that question because uh, it really feeds into what I'm trying to train others to do now. When I was in site selection, um, what I loved about site selection is what all meeting planners love, and that's relationships with the hotel partners and with the other um, suppliers that are part of the, the program. Um, but the thing I had to learn, the steep learning curve for me, especially when I first started, was the sales and trying to find the clients to begin with. And so I did what all the other sales professionals were doing, what all the other site selection professionals were doing, and you know, doing the cold calling and doing the cold emailing and reading up on how to best send an email. And it wasn't long after that that I thought, you know, this doesn't resonate with me. It's it it just felt really off. Um, so that's when I thought, you know, I'm going to start prospecting differently and I'm going to start prospecting through, um, through branding and through giving of information and giving of tools and resources to my client community and to my prospective clients to build that relationship that way. Um, and it's called inbound marketing. And, and my hope was that I would attract clients more than push out sales messages. And, and lo and behold, it worked. And I managed to, and I still today build um, a, a business based on people approaching me about what it is that I do um, because of my inbound marketing. Um, lots of trial and error over the years, but that just felt more natural to me than the traditional ways of selling that other industries um, might be doing. Yeah, really interesting. And, and, you mentioned sort of your your focus on the sales teams. Um, is that is that the main focus that you have when you do the branding and 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 the kind of the education that you do? Uh, actually, for both audiences, um, to be honest, you're right. Um, when I initially started all of these uh, training modules and the digital courses, I had that hotel sales manager in mind. Those are the people that I've worked with day in and day out for 15 years. And those were the people that I received the um, sales messages from and saw that disconnect. And I thought, you know, this is, this is training that I think could help them with their sales strategy. Um, but eight, now 18 months in, there's a lot of meeting planners who are also interested. Um, and I think, again, it's because meeting planners have to sell just as much as they have to service. And so there's been a lot of interest in my um, work on uh, by both meeting planners and then, of course, by hotel and destination professionals as well. Okay, that's really interesting. So personal branding, um, you know, it's something that I've worked on. I guess in a long time, I don't necessarily think of myself as a personal branding expert or anything like that, but why should people really care about this? Why is it important to build a personal brand in your view? Yeah, well, and I think that goes by to goes back to why I started my own brand is, is the way that we, we sell um, was changing even before the pandemic hit. And then of course, when the pandemic hit, it really heightened our need and awareness to do sales differently. Um, you know, we no longer had those in-person networking opportunities. Um, people are getting Zoomed out and phone called out and emailed out. And so personal branding is one way of connecting and creating a relationship with your client um, that's different from the cold call, email, and, um, and phone call. 
Um, so, you know, and I'm a, a firm believer, we, we spend our careers building experiences for our clients. Um, and I think with branding, we can now become part of that experience as well. So the experience doesn't start when they arrive on site, but it starts with that very initial sales interaction, um, whether it's the meeting planner interacting with the hotel or the meeting planner interacting with their stakeholders. That's where the experience can really start if we're intentional about our personal brands. Okay, interesting. Um, so, and how does this apply if, if you're talking with someone who's not necessarily in sales? Do you still feel like that the first kind of transaction is, is, is the kind of crux, is the kind of peak of this, or I guess the, the entry point? Well, it's definitely, yeah, your first transaction is the entry point, but it's, it's that, you know, when you're branding, it's, it's very much a long game and, and a long-term strategy, not a one and done, sign the contract and move on. Um, so it's, it's that whole people buy from people they trust and they trust people they like. Um, so in order for us to get to that point, we need them to trust us. We need them to like us. Um, and we do that through each interaction we have, be it your email, be it a networking reception, um, be it through our social media, which is obviously a great platform for one who's trying to create a personal brand. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, and what about, so what's your advice in, in developing this? Cause it doesn't, it's not something that's you know, obviously part of social media is putting yourself out there and, and being more public, but you probably have some advice on how to be more public, right? Because it's not necessarily positive to just be more public without any guidance. Well, and, and that's a, the, the interesting thing about branding. What I love about branding, it is very abstract, um, right? You say the words personal brand and you're not sure where the start or where the end point is and what happens in the middle. Um, so part of my training is to bring the abstract into the concrete. These are the concrete actions that we can all take to create a brand. And one of the first concrete actions that I would love for people to take is to first get very clear on why you even want to create a personal brand. Um, for some, it's to attract more business opportunities and leads. Um, for some, it's just to be a thought leader um, in the hospitality or in the meetings and events space. Um, and for others, it might not even be about business or thought leadership, but they want to get in front of industry leaders and maybe attract some volunteer opportunities. So once you're very clear on what you want your brand to achieve, then all the decisions, all that messy middle stuff starts to make more sense. It, it, it then leads us into what we're going to post on social media, because we now know why we're creating a brand and who we want to influence. So all the other decisions just are a little bit easier to make once you're very um, crystal clear on the why to begin with. Okay. Uh, and do you, do you find it that you kind of have to help people find their why or are people sort of, do they know it instinctively? No, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think they know it instantly. They may, you know, for our, our industry, um, one of the most common reasons that people build personal brands is to attract business. I think that's common for a lot of industries. We are no different. We are a very business-oriented industry. 
Um, but because we're also relationship focused, our why is often about how to meld the business and the relationships together. Um, but yeah, so it's about finding those business goals that you have for your personal brand. Um, and they're not necessarily around, you know, large social media followings. Um, you can build a personal brand off of social media. Um, there's, there's nothing that says that you cannot uh, have a brand without social media being present. So yeah, making, I, I find I need to help people down that path. If they're resistant to one platform, then we need to, to get them down a path where the platforms, um, echo where their audience is hanging out, their content echoes what their audience wants to listen to. Um, so that's kind of the path I take them down after they, they set those initial goals is how to set the rest of those decisions. Um, and then of course, the biggest decision being what should we amplify through our personal brand? You know, we're all made up of like thousands of different characteristics and traits but when we have our brand, we need to focus in on a very select uh, number of traits that we want to show to our, to our communities. And so it's drilling down and deciding what is it about Miguel that he is going to show to his community? And what is it maybe about Miguel that he wants to keep private and in his personal life? That, that is, yeah, I was going to ask you something about that. So what if, you know, the alignment between uh, somebody's job maybe and their personal brand sometimes that's not perfectly aligned uh, mm -hmm. or you know should it be does it have to be or do you sometimes also become a bit of a psychologist and telling people that maybe they're in the wrong job and <laughs> they need to change uh, you know it, and yes that that actually does happen um, I think you know, and this pandemic has changed the story for us, but finding corporations that we can align with as far as our belief system is really um, important. Personal brand aside, it's important that we align with our organizations, but it's very powerful if you can align with your organization um, on those, you know, CSR initiatives or on the belief systems of, of whatever your organization has. Because um, then you can, um, as a as a unit, you know, collaborate on the amplification of that message, not only through the corporate branding, but through your personal branding. Um, and for those who struggle with their corporate messaging, you're right, Miguel, maybe we need to ask, is there a better organization for us? Um, is there a better place where I can amplify my brand more authentically than this current organization where my belief system doesn't quite align with what it is that they believe in? Yeah, definitely an important topic. Um, mm. And so if we do this right, if this personal branding um, really works for us, if it reflects who we are, what are the key results that we're looking for? I mean, is it obviously you want leads, but maybe that's not necessarily instant. What, what should we be looking for when we're doing this? Yeah, well, it's as I mentioned, the personal branding is a long-term strategy. It's not something that we create today. And then a week from now, we start to measure the results of our, you know, our intentional social media posts. So it is a long-term strategy, um, but you can set long-term metrics as well. And doing those measurements every six months to 12 months is really important to see if your brand is resonating. 
So if your brand goal is to attract more leads, um, make it quantifiable. Um, you know, how many leads do you want to attract? Do you want those leads to come through LinkedIn or through Twitter or through your blog? Um, and find ways to measure how, how much impact you're actually creating with your brand. Uh, and again, it's not always about leads. It could be about other opportunities as well. It could be about landing a new opportunity with a new hotel group by the end of the year. Um, and so you're being intentional through your personal branding efforts to land that job opportunity. Or Miguel, it could be about landing a podcast on Event MB. <laughs> So you need to be very intentional on your actions in order to become a podcast guest with Miguel. So all of the decisions we set back in step one, then drive all the actions we have to what you're looking for right now, Miguel, and that's the results or the measurement of how well we did. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I know that you're particularly active on LinkedIn, so I wanted to talk a little bit about why LinkedIn uh, and 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 what makes it. You know, is this the platform that everybody should be? What's how do you see LinkedIn in in the world of uh, brand personal branding and and kind of developing that? Yeah, I need to be super careful here because you're right. I am super passionate about LinkedIn, um, but I'm passionate for a reason. Um, I've seen my business grow as a result of LinkedIn. Um, I've seen my brand grow as a result of LinkedIn. And yes, those two are related, but again, very separate because the goals I had for my brand were different than the goals I had for my business. Um, but here is why I'm so passionate about it for our industry in particular is we spent so much time, decades, Miguel. We're Now we're going back and we're reminiscing again when we all started talking about how to create more relevancy for our industry and how we wanted to move the conversation in meetings and events from being party planners to being seats at the table and achieving business objectives. LinkedIn is the platform where we can have those conversations. And that is why I love LinkedIn. Um, we can still have those conversations, I think, on Facebook. Um, but the the issues with Facebook, I think that's a separate podcast altogether. And I think you've had a ton of guests on that podcast. Um, but LinkedIn, it's still, uh, or it's not still, it's, it's moved from being the resume hosting platform to being the thought leadership platform. And our industry, we, we are thought leaders. We are we are making business. We are changing the world. You know, we can go down all of those roads of advocacy, but until we're sharing our message with everyone, our advocacy, our, our advocacy efforts don't go very far. And so LinkedIn's a great platform to share that message. Why do you think that is? Is this purely sort of a technical thing and Microsoft has a, has a great algorithm or is there a mm -hmm. sort of, you know, kind of a different element to it? 
you know, that that's a great question for Microsoft too, but um, LinkedIn started out as the professional platform. And now we're actually seeing it move to more of a professional personal platform, or as we've been calling it this entire episode, your personal branding platform. And Facebook hasn't moved yet from being that personal platform to that professional platform. Now, it doesn't mean those conversations can exist on Facebook. They are existing. There's a ton of great groups on Facebook, which is what Facebook does a lot better than LinkedIn, by the way, are the group features. But for individuals looking to start conversations, um, the home feed is just organized in a way that you can find those conversations. So Miguel, whenever you start a conversation, I'm going to see it in my home feed because you and I are connected to one another. I've engaged in your content before. And that's what the algorithm is picking up is the more engagement you get, the more juice you're going to get with each subsequent post. Um, So as a thought leader, that's fantastic. You're creating conversation, you're creating engagement, and now you're just going to get more and more eyes on those conversations. Yep. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, LinkedIn is, well, any social media, I think is, 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 is interesting to analyze how it works. I had, I had a thought this morning, which is kind of like, it, is LinkedIn kind of us behaving well because we have our business suits on and then Facebook who we really are? <laughs> like, uh, what is that business in the front party in the back? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think LinkedIn has become a lot more personal. Um, even, even since the pandemic started, I think there's been a huge um, shift. And I don't know if that is due to the pandemic or if that is due to the exodus of people from Facebook, which, which is a real thing. Um, so, so you are seeing a lot more personal stuff on LinkedIn, but I don't think that LinkedIn will ever become the personal platform because it's the thought leadership conversations that seem to take center stage. That's what the um, the the LinkedIn leaders are looking for. Um, so they have um, special, you know, expert and uh, not advocate programs, but um, LinkedIn influencer programs for people who are starting discussions on LinkedIn. So when you post something personal on LinkedIn. Yes, it's a discussion starter, but not like a thought leadership discussion starter. And LinkedIn and their leadership team, they really favor influencers who are starting thoughtful, um, professional discussions um, on the platform. So is that, uh, you know, from a real practical perspective, is that the sort of go-to content that you recommend in your in your course and in you, with, with people that you're working with? Yeah, well, I have two uh, digital courses right now. The LinkedIn course is, of course, above LinkedIn. And you're right, we do talk about um, how to post content on LinkedIn. But the personal branding course, I don't give LinkedIn any favors. We do talk about all the different platforms and the pros and cons to each. And then going back to the goals, um, you know, who is it that you're trying to influence? If the people you are trying to influence are not hanging out on LinkedIn, then you probably shouldn't be hanging out on LinkedIn either. Now, granted, my audience, the people they want to influence and impact, they're on LinkedIn. But if my audience was different and they were hanging out there, the people they wanted to impact were hanging out on Instagram or on Facebook, 
then there's no reason for them to, to invest in LinkedIn. So it really depends on who it is you're trying to impact. That will drive the platforms that I believe you should be showing up on um, if you're going to use social media in your branding strategy. Yeah. And do you have any sort of post recipe or content style recipe that you think is maybe the winner at the moment? I mean, you know, I've gone to so many of these sessions where it's like, oh, video is really performing well right now, or you should post at this time, or you should do this. I personally feel that it's about just the quality of the content and how much it resonates with the audience that you, you know, the community. But do you have any, I guess, kind of formats that you feel work well right now that you think people should really invest in? Yeah, I'll, um, it's so funny. You should you should mention about all these different theories about what works well. And the theories are always changing. Um, and you're right, video at one point did really well, um, but LinkedIn doesn't like video. When you do video on LinkedIn, whether it's your live LinkedIn Live or you do a pre-record and upload to your um, home feed. Um, it doesn't get nearly as many views as a couple other formats. So yes, if you're looking for the format du jour, Miguel, here are the two that I recommend everyone at least try. And again, it all goes back to measurement and testing and testing and retesting. But here are the two hacks that I'll give you today. So the first one is the LinkedIn poll. The LinkedIn poll will give you massive amounts of views. So if your metric is all about the view count, um, dabble in LinkedIn polls. Now, here's the thing with LinkedIn polls, though, is your, your audience um, needs to respond to that poll. So make your poll very relevant to your target audience and make sure that it's a discussion starter and not just a generic, do you like chocolate or vanilla ice cream poll? Those polls exist. They're all over LinkedIn. Um, but those aren't moving the needle on your personal brand or your thought leadership. So make a relevant poll on LinkedIn. And then the second hack are the, uh, the carousel posts. So the carousel posts, those are the ones with the strings of images. So rather than just posting one image, there's a string of like six, seven, eight images. LinkedIn loves the carousels. And here's why is as you're scrolling through all of those images, your dwell time on that post has increased. And so the algorithm sees that people are spending a long time on your post. And so they'll give it a little bit more algorithm juice. So right now, LinkedIn loves the carousels and loves the polls, but who knows, by Christmas, we might be looking at a completely different format. As you saw, LinkedIn just got rid of stories. So there's a format that rah, rah, fell flat very quickly. Um, and now you can no longer do LinkedIn stories. Well, I think it's interesting there because story is obviously very popular on Instagram and I guess yeah. Snapchat as well. And Facebook mm -hmm. is pretty popular as well. Um, mm -hmm. But it does feel like just because you add a feature that all the other platforms has doesn't mean that it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. But exactly. it sounds to me like the, the, the polling thing and the carousel. And when you do carousels, do you make them as PDFs and then upload them that way? Yeah, that is the hack um, with the carousels is um, if you're using a design tool like Canva, uh, download the images into a PDF file and upload yeah, it, and that it that way. way. So you can't yeah. upload multiple images using LinkedIn's uh, image feature. You do need yeah. to use a LinkedIn's document feature and then upload your PDF. Yeah, all these kind of different things. It, it feels a little bit like Facebook Live and 
uh, I don't know, 2016 or 13 or whenever it really came out. It's sort of, you know, the new feature on the platform platform is very happy if you use it. So it gives you extra reach. I don't know if this is intentional, it's probably partially intentional, but there's probably also a sort of novelty value aspect to it because not that many people use all the latest features. And then when you use it, you, your post stands out, right. And, and, you Mm -hmm. know, the platform is what will kind of post, uh, you know, give that extra relevance. There's one type of post that I particularly dislike, um, although they, they work pretty well, um, which is the ones where people take the emoji reactions and actually make a post with the, you know, the graphic for emoji reactions. It's like, if you reply A, press the like button. If you reply B, press the clap button. And it's a hack because then you get all these different people sort of voting-ish with this thing. And then LinkedIn thinks that it's a very popular post because it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it gets a lot of clicks, but I imagine that LinkedIn will start, or if it's not already cracking down on those posts and, and making them kind of a bad thing. So I wouldn't recommend people. I don't know if you have a different view, but I wouldn't recommend people using those. Well, so one of the LinkedIn experts that I um, follow and engage with quite regularly, he did a test um, only a few weeks ago and it spanned about a month where he did the exact same question using the LinkedIn poll uh, and then using the emojis that you mentioned. Um, And lo and behold, you're right. He did get more engagement on the emoji poll, even though the question was very similar to a LinkedIn poll that he posted a couple of weeks prior. Um, But he did have this to say, right? Like that, the thing with testing these theories is, it's, it's not really in a controlled environment. You know, his audience was different in the summer because everyone takes a break from LinkedIn in the summer. Uh, the time of day of posting is different. The time of week of posting is different. So it's when we're testing theories on any social media platform, it's hard to do them in a controlled environment where you're only changing one variable. Um, yeah. But you're right. The algorithm has even changed since the summer. Um, And I don't know how it's changed around polls, um, but I know it's changed around how often we should post. And uh, so there's new guidelines about how often we should post, even as early as just last month. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole world in itself, right? I think what's funny is with LinkedIn is I remember applying for LinkedIn Live, which I got quite early on and I was quite happy with. And one of the rules of LinkedIn Live is you're not allowed to do LinkedIn Lives about LinkedIn. Nope, that's true. (laughs) So so there's a sort of secrecy about kind of hacking LinkedIn or figuring out the algorithms. And I guess the same with all the other platforms. That's quite interesting. Um, But I wanted to also touch on perhaps the sort of more negative side of social media, because, you know, I used to work a lot with social media, still do with my role at FNTMB. You do a lot. Um, But not all of social media is positive. And and how how do you balance that out? And how do you sort of... I guess, in a way, make peace with that or kind of work out a, a way to stay sane and all of that. Yeah, well, and I think it's been super tough on all of us during the pandemic because social media has been uh, has been there when other people aren't even able to be there. So it's it's easy to jump on on Facebook and connect with people, but it does become that rabbit hole that and it's and I think for any professional in any industry, Um, it becomes a time suck where you could be spending time doing other strategic things. And instead you're down this social media rabbit hole. Um, 
And that rabbit hole has a lot of negativity, as you said. Um, so I'm certainly not an expert in doing it right. Um, but I do know that when I uh, set timers on my phone or I set blocks in my calendar, um, not only set blocks in my calendar when I can be on social media, but set blocks in my calendar when I should be working on other strategic work and off social media, um, that's helped me. Um, and those timers on your phone, they could be the, you're only going to spend 15 minutes on Facebook right now, or it could be you're locking down Facebook between the hours of nine and five every day, whatever that looks like for you and whatever your working style, I think we all need to put those checks and balances in place and keep ourselves accountable because um, we're losing prime productivity hours, um, getting sucked down these social media rabbit holes. Um, and I think when Facebook came on a year ago to, you know, I think it was really January when everyone joined or not Facebook Clubhouse, sorry, um, when Clubhouse started a year ago, and then everyone jumped on Clubhouse in December and January, that's when you really started to hear about the social media rabbit hole and people losing hours and hours of their lives stuck in these Clubhouse rooms. Um, you, you can leave anytime, people. No one's holding you hostage, but we all did it. I was there right there alongside them. So yeah, I mean, social media addiction is a real thing. Um, and if you're addicted, we, we need to find some checks and balances to, to get you back to a healthy lifestyle. When you're, when you're kind of training people, do you ever kind of stop and kind of go, I don't know if I should be training people to do more on LinkedIn and to kind of invest on that side of things? Yeah, well, so when we're training about branding, um, the biggest piece of advice I can give about platforms, and that's where we really cover social media is when we're talking about platforms, is to just choose one platform at a time. Um, you know, we do not need to be in all the spaces all the time to have an effective personal brand. So especially when you're just starting out to be intentional around your brand, Become consistent and relevant on one platform first before adding another platform to your mix. Um, so it's not a lesson in how to be less addicted to social media, but definitely a lesson on how to be less exhausted by what it takes to create a, uh, uh, an intentional personal brand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. And thank you for going down this rabbit hole with me. I think it's always, uh, it's always interesting. And I know we always have a lot to talk about in this area, but it's uh, like you say, it is a rabbit hole and um, it's interesting to revisit it every once in a while, but not get too lost in it. So I well, want so to many get... trends to talk about. So anyways, sorry, Miguel. No worries. I think it's always interesting. I wanted to talk, I wanted to get your view a little bit on, on the future of events, uh, you know, events and the, and the event industry. Um, we don't have crystal balls, so we don't know when everything is, is sort of back to normal. Uh, I like to call it not even normal, but when we have the possibility to safely have in-person events anywhere in the world, let's say post-pandemic, what do you think that's going to look like? Do you have any kind of vision for, for what events in the industry will look like at that point? You know, the vision I have, it's coming from how my clients are starting to talk about their events, um, which is really only in the past few months, Miguel. And um, sadly, I would say that there's a lot of um, 
event planners and organizations out there very excited to return to the way that things were. Um, which, which, and that saddens me because I think the industry has done so many great things over the past year and a half, you know, so many incredible virtual event platforms, um, gamification, you know, when gamification first started, we loved it. And then we kind of lost our, our zest for it. And now we love it again. And so there's been so many enhancements to gamification and so to hear my clients say that they're not even going to explore hybrid or virtual, it is in-person or bust, breaks my heart because we've worked so hard to create all of these great platforms for people. Um, and when they return to their in-person events, I don't know how many risks event planners are taking. I, I know there's event planners out there who are taking risks. And those are the thought leaders that I follow on LinkedIn. And, and I'm, you know, I love seeing their updates, but I think there's a lot of event planners who just want to get back to that comfort of the way things were. And whether that's coming from them as the planner or from their stakeholders who are like, we just want to go back to 2018. That's, you know, we were happy in 2018. So let's go back there. Um, and that I'm, I'm hoping that we can all meet in the middle somehow and we can keep some things from the olden days and keep some of the traditions of our events alive. But let's, this is the time to take risk. So I'm hopeful that some event planners will at least try to take some risk and meet in the middle with their stakeholders um, for events in 2022. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. And you think that hybrid is, or hybrid events in, in whatever format, do you think that would be what you would see as sort of pushing out the pushing the envelope of it? You know, I, I hope so. Um, I know I'm taking part in a hybrid event in a couple of weeks. Um, and the event planner has done an incredible job of working with on both, both events to keep the audiences engaged. Um, and I'm certainly not the expert in this. I think you need, need to defer to someone like Anthony Vade to talk about um, how, how you can make or break a, a successful hybrid event, but it can be done. It's just a lot of work. And I think event planners were already exhausted. And so when we look at hybrid in 2022, sadly, I think event planners are looking at the workload and going, uh-uh, I can't do it. Um, which they could lose some audience members. Um, because I think there, there are a lot of people who are loving hybrid like myself, um, even, I mean, Miguel, you're, you're located, um, in a, on a different continent. So hybrid works well for us who aren't in those big centers, having those big events all the time, we can still participate. Um, so I'm hopeful that it doesn't disappear. Really interesting. And, and in terms of sort of the, the companies in the industry, obviously, you know, you also working with venue finding, um, I think it's really interesting that you have that uh, vision because I could see the easy option being, yay, people want to get back in person that, you know, that gives the, the, the kind of revenue side and it's more what you're used to, but you're saying, you know, we need to kind of figure out innovation. We need to figure out different ways to do that. How do you think that's going to impact the different kind of players in the industry? Yeah. So, you, and you're right. Um, you know, I took my, my conference direct hat off to kind of answer that question. Cause you're right. As a site selection professional, I would love to see, you know, a hundred to 200% return to in-person meetings. Um, that bodes well for my business that bodes well for hotels and destinations. 
Um, but, you know, and perhaps I've been listening to Anthony Bay too much, but it really shouldn't, shouldn't be about, um, the, the place or, or the, um, the destination, but about the objectives themselves. And I think hybrid has done a really great job and virtual events have done a really great job on allowing planners to still set really strategic objectives uh, and giving them the tools to get them done. So business can still happen in a virtual setting or in a hybrid site setting. So to lose those platforms would be, would be sad. Um, because I, because they've done such a great job of it over the past year and a half. So you definitely see a, a good balance somewhere where you can have the best of both worlds and, and keep evolving. I'd like to, as long as it's affordable for not only the, um, the, the attendee to, to be a part of the program, um, but for the meeting planner and sustainable for the meeting planner to plan as well. Um, it'd be great if they could still keep some of those, the, the hybrid and, and virtual elements to their programs. So you're thinking the industry needs some innovation, right? It needs something a little bit different to, to keep driving it and keep making it exciting and, and probably attract people from different areas that may not be willing to travel and to spend all that money going to events necessarily. Well, and that was the mixed blessing of the past two years, um, you know, what's happened to our industry is horrific. Um, it's, it's devastating. It has literally ruined lives and ruined careers and livelihoods. Um, but the mixed blessing was it did give, did give us opportunity to learn new things, um, to mix up our formats. Um, and again, you know, I, we're going back to that decades long conversation of being relevant um, and being the driver of business objectives. And so I think we, we were able to come a long way this year because we were given a platform to share how our, not only how our industry has been decimated, but how other industries have hurt because the event planning industry was on pause. So it was a great opportunity to show our relevancy for sure. Absolutely. And uh, have you spotted any events, any tools, any concepts that you think would really uh, recommend to other people that, that have really caught your eye? Yeah, well, I'm not a spokesperson for any of them. Um, but I did a program last week with um, uh, Liz, Liz King events out of New York, and she used a platform called Cadence. And it was really good. I really, really enjoyed Cadence. Um, but that's probably just because that's the one I remember that I was on last week and it was uh, a really, really great experience. And Liz and her team did a great job of, of, um, of de delivering that program as well. Great. Thank you for that recommendation. And the last question I have for you, which is the one we ask all our guests is mm -hmm. to, um, recommend another guest, uh, which we should have on the podcast so we can continue this sort of chain of, of, of the network and, and the community around uh, the podcast. Well, it's not my first time mentioning his name today, but Anthony Vade with Event Design Collective, um, great thought leader, um, incredible personal brand. He would be a great um, uh, podcast guest for you. Um, and also Deanna Nuasu, she's out of the U.S. She's an event strategist that also pivoted during COVID and has created some resources around um, uh, speaker resources and how speakers can connect better with meeting planners, which I love. I love how niche she got with, um, with her pivot. So she would be another great guest, I think. 
Oh, thank you. I, I know them both, so I'm sure I'll uh, extend them an invite soon so they can be on the show. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, all the different tangents that we were on. I think they're all <laughs> interesting. Hopefully the listeners find them interesting as well. The last thing I would just want to ask you is where will, where should people find you if they want to learn more about the work that you do? Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, obviously find me over on LinkedIn. Um, and then I also have my blog over at leannecalderwood.com. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining. I hope you um, enjoy this podcast and uh, make sure to join us next time on the Event Manager Podcast. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.